This morning, I want to speak to you about unstoppable grace. On Easter, we began a series entitled Unstoppable. And because we have an unstoppable God, we can have unstoppable hope in our life. Hope that goes beyond any situation in our life. And I know that some of you are going through some dark seasons of your life today but I want you to know that we have a God of hope, that we have an eternal hope that springs up in our soul because we have an unstoppable God. And we've got to cling to that hope. And, and Peter tells us because we've got this living, unstoppable hope that we have faith that shields us until the coming of our Lord and that we need to have faith and that faith gives us vision to see beyond our circumstance today and know that God has a plan and it's a big plan no matter what's going on in our life. God has given us unstoppable faith so we go from faith to faith, from beginning to the end and then God, because he gives us hope and faith, you put that together, he gives us inexpressible joy full of glory that's translated into a peace that passes all understanding. And as a result of that, we are an unstoppable church and an unstoppable family. And this morning, I want to talk to you about unstoppable grace, grace that has been given to us as the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that God has lavished upon us by his grace. All the great things that God has done in our life is by his incredible grace. I want you to look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to look 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul the apostle, he says, I must go on boasting although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one was permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except in my weakness. Even if I should choose the boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, everybody say conceited, everybody say full of myself, I was given a thorn, everybody say a thorn, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to me, but three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace, everybody say grace. My grace is sufficient. Everybody say sufficient. My grace is unstoppable. My grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Everybody say, when I'm weak, God makes me strong. So really, in order for us to understand this, we've got to understand if there's one person in the Bible that could be tempted to boast, if there's one person in the Bible that we would tend to make a super Christian, a a super saint, a super apostle, it would be Paul. Why? After all, Paul has given us much of the New Testament. Paul has given us some incredible words of wisdom, incredible inspired, anointed words from God. I mean, if you read Romans chapter 8, what an incredible chapter. What shall separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus my Lord? All things are, are, are possible with God and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Paul talks so much about the things that we can do in Christ. He talks about our position in Christ. He talks about our possibilities in Christ. He talks about our power in Christ. He talks about all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He shows us the way into the power and the presence and the grace of the Holy Spirit in our life. He talks about us being more than a conqueror. And what can I say about Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1 is so chock full of incredible promises from God and revelation from Paul the Apostle that we could feast off our Ephesians chapter 1 all of our life and never be done with Ephesians chapter 1 so rich and so deep. Without Paul, we wouldn't have the riches of the, of the scripture that is found in the epistles. Without Paul, we wouldn't really understand God our Father. We wouldn't understand God our Sanctifier. We wouldn't, we wouldn't understand God our Redeemer, our Rescuer, our Eternal Father, the Giver of all good things. Without Paul the Apostle, we would not have the revelation of the richness of God when it comes to the grace of God in our life. But Paul the Apostle, he actually reveals to us, he pulls away the curtain of pride and he reveals to us the pathway to power with God. He reveals to us the pathway to wisdom with God and it's not found in having it all together. Oh, you know, all of us in this room, we like people that are strong. We like to think about superheroes. We want a superhero. We want everybody to be a superhero. We want our pastor to be perfect. We want our superheroes to be perfect because we love strength. And yet Paul the apostle doesn't tell us that our strength comes from having it all together. How many of you know that you don't have it all together? Turn to your neighbor and say, you just don't have it all together. Turn to your neighbor and say, in fact, you, you got some loose ends in your life. Our society, we want people to be strong. We don't look at weakness as something to be attained or wanted. In fact, we applaud strength and power. Not only do we love our superheroes, but, but we want everything in my life and your life to be put together. 
But the truth is that if we're going to have the power of God in our life, if we're going to truly have the wisdom of God in our life, it is found in coming to the end of ourself. In order to fully understand this, we've got to understand why Paul even says this. You see, Paul the Apostle obviously planted many churches and, and he planted a church in Corinth and there were some Jewish leaders who infiltrated the church of Corinth and they were questioning Paul's authority. They were questioning Paul's leadership. They were called Judaizers. Why? Because they were trying to mix Judaism with Christianity and they were trying to actually make another Christianity that had to do with the law, keeping the law, making sure that you would perfectly keep the law. And they were calling Paul a fake apostle. They were calling Paul someone who was not authentic, that he really wasn't an apostle, that he was weak, that he wasn't really a good preacher anyway. And some of the people in the church began to believe these Judaizers and, and they even had said if, if Paul was truly an apostle, he would have seen some really important revelations. And now we find that Paul the apostle is trying in some ways to defend himself. And we find if you look in, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, especially 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote four books to the Corinthians. We have two of them. And so we have 1 Corinthians, and then we've got 1 Corinthians B, and then we've got 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians B. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle, he goes on to try to defend himself. And then he stops himself, and he says, listen, I can go on boasting about who I am and, and the revelations that I have received. He says, I know a man 14 years ago who received incredible revelations where the Lord brought him to the third heavens and showed him things that I can't even speak about. Now, and sometimes uh, some, some theologians may say that he was referring to, to John and, and, and the revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation, but I believe he's actually referring to himself. He says, I know a man who saw all these things, but I will not boast about that man who was given great revelation. He said, in fact, all I want to know is Christ and him crucified, and if there's anything that I'm going to boast in, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. When's the last time you had a preacher get up? When's the last time you had a superstar get up and say, hey, man, I've got a lot of problems. Let me tell you all my problems. And I want to tell you how weak I am. No, most American Christians would not go to that church any longer because they don't want a weak pastor. They want, a, they want a pastor that's got it all together to show them how they can have it all together. You know, that just really dismantles the grace of God. That dismantles the gospel because the truth of the matter is that we don't have it together. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how long you've been reading the Bible. I don't care how long you pray. I don't care how long you fast. The truth of the matter is you are human. You'll always be human. You'll always have weaknesses in your life. You'll always have struggles in your life. You're human. Get ready. Get ready ready get ready to understand that every one of us in this room need to embrace our weaknesses in our life so that God's power could be made perfect inside of us come on somebody say amen glory to God see after all it's natural to want to defend yourself when somebody is questioning your integrity your authority and even your strength but Paul says but I will refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of the surpassing great revelations. Therefore, he says, 
in order to keep me from becoming conceited or to keep me from buying the lie to think that I can somehow be perfect or have it all together, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Paul says, I'm not going to try to boast about this man who saw these revelations. Why? Because I've decided to boast in, in one thing, and that's not my strength, that's not my talent, that's not my abilities, that's not my knowledge, that's not the great revelations God has shown. I've decided to boast in one thing, in my weakness, in my problems, in my trials, in the things that remind me that without God I can do nothing, absolutely nothing. It's the only pathway to success when it comes to God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed is the person who comes to the end of himself. Blessed is the person who realizes that he's weak without God, that he cannot do it without God, that he's nothing but dust without God. It's the pathway to experience unstoppable grace, the grace of God in our life. And without the grace of God in my life, Paul the Apostle goes on to say, God had a plan for my life and it included making me humble, breaking me of my pride, showing me just how dependent I really am. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, along with these great revelations that God has given me, as long, along with the, the great revelation that God has a plan for my life, and along with the great revelations of God's mercy and redemptive goodness in my life, I was also given a thorn in my flesh to keep me from becoming conceited and deceived. But you say, I thought when you become a Christian, God only gives you good things. <laughs> You say, Pastor Steve, I thought that when I become a Christian, all good things come from above, that, that God, he will bless me with only good things in my life. God only gives us easy things when we become a Christian. God only gives us things that make us happy and content. God only gives us things that we will enjoy in our life. I thought that when you give God your life and you do God's will, only good things will happen. I thought if I do God's will, I'll be wealthy and healthy and happy all the time. But Paul tells us that God allowed. In fact, he said, God gave me, not just allowed, but God gave me. Now I'm tempted. I really am tempted to change the wording to God allowed. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said, God gave me. It came from God. Now, we know that God uses all kinds of things to work out uh, his glory in our life. He even uses the devil. Did you know that the devil is a puppet in the hands of the Lord and he uses the devil to make you a better Christian? Come on, somebody. Woo! That God uses that fool to make you a wise person. Glory to God. So he allowed a thorn in my flesh. The word for thorn in the Greek is actually a stake. It's not, it's not just like this little prickly thorn that you're like you're in the garden and you're doing a little gardening and there's a little rose and boo, oh, I pricked my finger. No, that thorn in the Greek means a stake. In order to keep me from becoming deceived, 
into thinking that I've got it all together and I don't need God every moment of my life, every second of my life, that I don't need God for everything in my life. God gave me a stake and sometimes that stake drives through the heart of my soul and it makes me so weak. It makes me feel so vulnerable. It makes me feel like, God, I'm not going to make it. And then I cry out to God and God gives me his grace to keep going on. What was Paul's thorn in his flesh? We don't know. Some pastors say it was a physical ailment. I I don't know. Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't say to keep me from becoming conceited or puffed up. You know, he gave me this thorn in my flesh and it's, it's sickness. He didn't say that. But he does call it a messenger of Satan. And, and why is it that God doesn't reveal, doesn't make it clear what Paul's thorn was? Because the truth is, we all have a different thorn in our flesh. Don't look at your wife right now. Don't look at your husband right now. We all have a different cross. We all have a different thorn in our flesh. For some of us, come on, let's be honest. We struggle. We struggle with emotional pain in our life from our past. Some of us, we, we struggle with ailments and, and sickness in our life. And I, I understand. I know. I know that Jesus died for our sickness. He died for our pain. He died for our diseases. I get it. I understand that. But we live in a fallen world and you don't eat right all the time. And I don't eat right all the time. And we are what we eat. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are what you eat. You look like a big banana. You look like a big hot dog. We live in a fallen world. And there's a lot of stress. How many of you deal with stress? And stress has a result on our body. Come on, let's be honest. I'm quoting every scripture I can, but when I get a pain in my chest, I know it's because I've taken on too much and I've got too much stress in my life. So come on, let's be honest. I want to say that we're going to be happy and we're going to feel good all the time and everything's going to be great in our life. Come on, what world, what planet do you live on? The truth is there are going to be things that come in our life. Sorrow comes to all of us. Pain comes to all of us. That's why Paul the Apostle said that this, in this world, our body groans. Now, I'm not telling you that you should accept everything in your life. Sometimes you've got to work through some things that you live with and you shouldn't be living with in your life. You're living with those things because you're not, you're not being a person of faith. You're not, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not getting the help that you need and, 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 and you need to do those things. But sometimes there are things that are beyond our control. And sorrow comes to all of us. Pain comes to all of us in our life. And we want to run from pain. We want to run from sorrow. We want to run from weakness. We want to be strong all the time. I want to be strong all the time. I want to get up and feel good every day. I want to get up and feel happy every day. I want to get up and feel strong every day. I want to have every answer to every problem in my life. I want to know what to do the moment that a situation comes. I don't want to struggle with it. 
I don't want to wrestle through it. I want it gone. I want it gone right away because we're American Christians. We want to go through the drive-through of God's grace and say, God, I don't want to live with this longer than I have to live. Give me the pill. Give me, the, give me whatever it takes and let it happen quickly so I can get on with this thing so I can be happy in my life. I want to be happy. How about you? I want to be happy. I always want to be happy. But that's not reality. Why did God give Paul this thorn in his flesh? Because the truth is, every one of us have a thorn in our flesh. And God was teaching us through Paul's life. Everyone has something that we will have to face in our life that will bring us face to face with our limitations. It will make us feel weak and vulnerable. It will make us feel incompetent. It will make us feel desperate for divine intervention. Something that will remind us in our life that we're just human. Something that will remind us we're not God and we need his grace. And maybe you have always prided yourself that you don't really need anyone in your life. Get ready. God's about to humble you. Maybe you've always had a relatively good marriage. Maybe your kids have always been somewhat behaved Maybe you've enjoyed good health for years, but now something has happened in your life, something that you have no control over, something that has turned your life upside down. And the truth is, it's a thorn. It's a stake in your heart. It's a stake in your life. It may be in your marriage. It may be in your family. It may be a son or daughter that just informed you that they have taken a different path in life an alternate way of thinking, an alternate way of believing, an alternate way of thinking about their sexuality. And they have rejected everything that you've poured into them their whole life. It may be a physical limitation that has really created a true sense of humility in your life. It may be an emotional, psychological challenge that you live with each day. No one knows, but you know it's a challenge. It may be a debilitating depression anxiety, whatever it is, it just seems to be more than you have the capacity to handle. It seems to be more than you have the strength to overcome by yourself. And the truth is, first, you've asked God why. Secondly, like Paul, you've pleaded with God to take it away. Send a miracle. Send deliverance. Send a surplus. Send the healing, Lord. Send a good answer that will take me from this place to a good place again, Lord. Pull me out of this pit. Take me out of this valley. Deliver me out of this fire. In fact, Paul asked God three times to take it away. But God said, no, Paul, I will allow you to have this thorn in your flesh. And why did God allow Paul to have this thorn in his flesh? Whatever it was. Why? Didn't God realize that Paul, he was the apostle. Paul was the apostle that would take the gospel to the known world for the Gentiles. And God, if you don't take this thorn away from me, you're going to slow me down. This thorn is slowing down progress for the kingdom. 
Have you ever said, Lord, if you would deliver me, Lord God, if you would set me free, Lord God, if you would provide for me, Lord God, I'd do more for your kingdom, Lord, but you're slowing me down, God. And if you just let me be free of this situation in my life, I can do more for your kingdom. Didn't God realize that Paul was a very busy man? And the last thing Paul needed is some kind of obstacle or interruption or limitation when it came to his mission. Did you ever ask God why? After all, God, if I didn't have to deal with this thorn in my flesh, Lord, I can do more for your kingdom. Why did God allow Paul to have this thorn in his flesh? Well, Paul tells us why. In order to keep me from becoming, the word here, conceited, is puffed up. Puffed up. You see, the truth is, pride is a very deceptive thing, isn't it? Pride blinds us to our need for God. Pride creates a false sense of security in our life. Pride deceives us into thinking that somehow we did it. We did it. I did this. I got this. I could do this. I made it on my own. I'm a self-made financial success. I did this on my own. I, I got a pretty good marriage because I've read all the latest books about marriage. I'm a pretty good preacher. I've studied I've studied enough to prove myself that I can preach a good sermon. I, I'm a pretty good preacher. I, I've read all the good books from Charles Spurgeon and all the rest of them. I'm a, I'm a pretty good Sunday school teacher. I'm a pretty good leader. I'm a pretty good this and that. And we start to really believe the report, the news about ourselves. We start to believe that we really could do it without God, or at least we don't need God as much as we thought we needed God. Oh, but you say, I'm not a proud person. I'm a pretty humble person, Pastor Dave. I'm a humble person. It's like the pastor who got the award for being the most humble pastor. They put it, they gave him a plaque. And it said, to the most humble pastor. They took it away from him three weeks later because he put it on a chain and hung it around his neck and showed up every Sunday morning. I'm a humble pastor. I'm pretty humble. Well, let me ask you a question then. When's the last time? When's the last time you really got on your knees before God, broken before the Lord, and you cried out to God, and you said, God, I can't go unless you go with me, God. Lord, I can't breathe unless you let me breathe, God. I can't live, God, unless you give me life to my soul and my spirit, God. When's the last time you got on your knees before God, and you cried out to God and said, God, I'm nothing without you, Lord Jesus How often do we thank God for absolutely everything in our life? You know, my grandfather, he was a humble man. He was truly humble. And when he sat down to have a glass of water, when he sat down to have a glass of water, he would give thanks to the Lord for that water. Wow. When he sat down to have a piece of bread, he would give thanks to the Lord for that piece of bread because he recognized that it was the Lord who provided the water and it was the Lord who provided the wheat for the bread and the rain for the wheat so the wheat can grow and so that we can make bread so we can have bread and pasta fazul. 
Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When's the last time you opened up God's word and you said, God, this is food for my soul, God. Lord, I need to read this every day of my life. You see, when you don't pray every day, let me tell you something. You say, pastor, that's legalism. No, 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 no. It's not legalism. When you don't open up the Bible every day of your life, when you don't pray every day of your life, what you're really saying is, I don't need a word from God today. I know what to do today. I know where to go. I know the decision I need to make. When you don't pray, when you don't get on your face before God every day and say, God, bless my family, bless my children, bless my marriage, bless my life. What you're really saying, God, I don't need you. I got it all together. You see, it's the things that you do and the things that you don't do that determine whether or not you're humble or you're proud. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? That's why I read every day. Sometimes I read because I'm legalistic, but most of the time I read because I just know I got to hear from God today. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, the Israelites, they were warned by God. God blessed them. God said, I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to bless you so much. That when you go into the promised land, you're going to have everything that you want. But be careful that when you go into the promised land, you don't forget who gave you the blessings. But they did. How often we do forget that everything we have comes from the hand of the Lord. He said, beware of your plenty and do not forget the Lord your God. Don't forget it was me who delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. Don't forget it was me who gave you this water. Don't forget it was me who gave you the manna. Don't forget it was me who led you into the promised land. Don't forget it was you. It was me who even fought your battles when you were fighting. You thought you were fighting, but it was I who was really doing the fighting. And Paul recognizes that he was prone to be proud. After all, he was a Pharisee. Paul was taught... By the best rabbis, Paul even said, as for the law, I was perfect. But all of that that I had accomplished in the law has become like dung compared to being found completely forgiven, completely redeemed, completely restored, completely born again through the mercy and grace of God that is found only in his son, Jesus Christ. And God allowed Paul to deal with a thorn, a stake, that would be driven into the ground in his life to keep him from becoming conceited because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Tom Matthew, he writes, the hidden dangers of pride. Pride develops an unrealistic view of ourselves. When pride is a part of the equation, we see ourselves as greater than we are. We look at our abilities and our achievements in a glorified light that places us on a pedestal above everyone else. We become increasingly obsessed with success and being the best. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Don't think yourself better than you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourself by the faith that God has given us, pride causes us to assess our lives by the standard of our accomplishments rather than our God-given grace and identity. Pride creates a critical spirit. Unattended pride starts to create a jaded outlook on life that zeroes in on the negatives Rather than the positives, we are quick to judge others for their flaws while neglecting the fact that we are so flawed ourselves. That's why Jesus says, why do you look at the 
Why do you try to take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Wow. Pride makes us legalistic. Pride makes us look at others. Pride makes us gossip. Oh, listen. When's the last time you gossiped about somebody? Oh, if they really had it all together. That just makes us understand that we have no idea how poor and how wretched and how naked and blind we really are without God. How much we need his grace in our life. Pride takes life into our own hands. Perhaps the most dangerous element of pride is that it tells God, I got this. Even though we have divine direction laid out for us, we choose to go down our own path, wandering aimlessly in the dark, determined that we are going to do the right thing and go the right way. Whatever path we choose becomes increasingly ominous because scripture is clear. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. When we stay fixated on our way, then we lose sight of what God wants to do through us. We become a stubborn driver who refuses to stop for directions because we are dead set that we know where we're going and how we can get there. Not only are we persuaded that our way is right, but we are offended that God does not agree with us. You see, God could never use Paul until Paul was empty of himself. God could never bless Paul until Paul was empty of himself. Jesus said, if you want to really gain life, you have to lose your life. Now, he's not saying that we have to stop feeling. He's not saying that we should stop having emotions. But he, what he is saying is, is that we need to recognize the only good that is in us comes from God alone. God knew that Paul could never be used by him as long as he was full of pride. Notice again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. Have you ever prayed, God, please? Once, I said no. God, please. I said no. God, please. I said no. Notice, Paul said three times, Lord, take it away from me. Take this stake, this trial, this sickness, whatever it was. Lord, set me free. Deliver me. Lord, send the miracle. And God said, no, instead, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace will be enough. I want my grace to carry you. I want you to experience my grace every day, every minute, every second of your life. I want my grace to envelop you. I want my grace to be, to be the very essence of your life. I want my grace to sustain you. I want my grace to be the source of your joy. I want my grace to be the testimony of your life. When people applauded Paul, God said, Paul, when people applaud you, great sermon, Paul, unbelievable revelation, Paul, Paul, I can't believe all of what you've accomplished by planting all these churches. I want you to say with absolute passion and conviction, I want you to mean it deep down in your heart. I don't want it to be a false statement of a sense of false pride, but I want you to look at them straight in their face and say, to God be all the glory. I want you to look at them straight in, your, in their face, and I want you to say, if it were not for grace, grace in my life, if it were not for God, 
God's incredible, unstoppable grace and mercy in my life, I would not even be here today. I'd be burning in hell today, but it's only because of the grace of God I am that I am. Hallelujah. Because, because grace is the very core of who we are. Listen, listen to me. As I bring this sermon to a conclusion, grace is God loving us even when we don't deserve to be loved. Grace is God accepting us even though we are sinners. Grace is God dying for us even though we deserve to be cast into an eternal hell separated from God. Grace was hanging on the tree. Grace was hanging on the tree. Grace was being crucified for you and I. We deserved it, but he took it upon himself and he shed his spotless, pure, holy blood for us. And he said, forgive them, Lord God. They know not what they do. And God forgave us in his son. That's grace. Grace is the favor of God giving us everything we need even though we don't deserve it. Grace is the essence of our relationship with God. Grace is Jesus coming down from heaven, becoming a man. Grace is extended to us while we were yet sinners. John 1 tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace is God treating us as children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Grace is God pouring on us all of his goodness and blessing every day of our life. Grace is God's Shekinah glory. When, when, Paul, when Paul said, I would rather boast in my weakness so that the grace of God would be upon me, what he was really talking about was in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God would come and rest upon the people of God even though they didn't deserve it. So grace is God's Shekinah, unbelievable presence in our life, even, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, how often do we take it so lightly that God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? How often do we take it for granted that he is our shepherd and we shall not want. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because his Shekinah glory is upon us and in us. He always goes with us and it's only by his grace. We don't deserve it, but it's his unmerited favor in our life. Hallelujah. Grace is God's constant presence. It's God's power that sustains us and uses us in the midst of every dark situation in our life. And in every one of our lives, we will have a thorn in our flesh, a weakness. And God will say to every one of us that are here, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, my amazing grace will be more than you need for every situation in your life. For my power, my dunamis, is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, God says, I'm not looking for strength. I'm not looking for you to have it all together. I'm not looking for you to be perfect. I'm not looking for you to have it all together. I'm looking for you to humble yourself before me and embrace your utter weakness in my presence and live in my unstoppable grace. 
my all-sufficient grace. Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I will boast. I'm weak. So that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why for Christ's sake. (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? You can play the piano. It'll make them feel better. (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? I will will boast, be glad in my weaknesses. How many of you feel weak? How many of you feel weak at times? All the rest of you are liars, (laughs) filthy liars. How many of you have come to the end of yourself a few times in your life? How many of you have felt this thing is just too much for me? This pain is just too much for me. The knowledge of my son, my daughter, away from God, envelops my heart sometimes. It becomes a stake in my soul. God, it's just too much. This sickness, Lord, it's too much. Lord, this depression that sometimes envelops my soul is too much. Lord, I feel so vulnerable and weak. I feel so ashamed of my weakness. If anybody would have known. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery. They get up and the first thing they resolve in their heart is let's let everybody know these are the things that I struggle with. Let's get it over with. Let's tell everybody this is where I'm weak. Got it? You don't like me? Tough luck. God loves me. He said in my weakness, he makes me strong. I love it. We all are weak. We all come to the end of ourselves. We all wonder, are we going to make it? Is this thing going to take me out? Am I going to have the strength to keep going? And then God reminds us, when you're weak, you can come to me. And there is a well, a reservoir of my grace that is available to you and in my grace and with my grace you could do all things see I'm confident that I'm going to make it to the finish line I'm confident that I'm not going to lose my mind I'm confident that I'm going to serve the Lord for the rest of my life and I'm confident that I'm going to be more than a conqueror And I'm confident that God is going to use me in a great way. And I'm confident that my children are all going to serve the Lord. And I'm confident that Jesus is going to send healing in my life. And I'm confident that every day he's going to give me daily bread. Hallelujah. And he's going to open the window of heaven and pour me out a blessing that I cannot contain. But I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in his grace. Hallelujah. God given me what I need when I need it, even though I don't deserve it. I'm confident in his grace because by his grace, I have been saved. So no matter what I'm going through today, there's enough grace in my life. Do you need grace today? Does anybody in this room need grace Does anybody in this room need grace? Does anybody need a little more grace? Does anybody need a little more than more than grace? I need more. Maybe you're here today. 
you need grace today. You feel weak. You feel like, God, I can't do this. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Come on. If that's you today, I want you to stand up right now. Come on. I need grace. I need grace to get through this situation in my life, the grief that sometimes envelops my soul. I need grace. Grace. Oh, praise the Lord. We're going to have an old-fashioned prayer time today. And we're going to sing that song first, and then we're going to finish with Amazing Grace. But we're going to sing Amazing Grace. We're going to sing that song, Amazing Grace. The pathway to grace in our life is humility. I need you, Lord. Every hour of my life, I need you. See, God gives us a thorn in our flesh. Listen to me. Look at me. Because he wants to be glorified through our life. He wants to display his power through our life. And he wants to use us. Several stories in the Bible. I won't, I won't go into them in detail, but I will give you examples. One, blind man comes to Jesus. And Jesus takes some clay and he puts it on his eyes and he goes, go wash. And he comes back and he can see. His disciples ask him a, a question. Jesus, why was this man born blind? And Jesus said, it was for the glory of God. Did, did, did his father sin? Did his mother sin? No, no, no. It's for the glory of God. How we become so legalistic, don't we? When we look at somebody else's weakness, we want to judge them for why they're weak. And Jesus said, it was for the glory of God. Your weakness, my friend, is for the glory of God. Because through your weakness, not through your strength, but through your absolute weakness, God wants to get all the glory. The story of a young man in the Bible. His name is Jacob. Jacob was a surplanter. He was bad news. And he was always trying to get himself out of stuff, getting himself into other stuff, trying to get himself out. Until one day he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord was playing games with him. And all night long he wrestled with this angel. And finally the Bible says that, that the angel says to Jacob, what's your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. He says, no, 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 no. What's your name? Say it again. My name is Jacob. What does it mean? It means I'm a surplanter. I'm a cheat. I'm a robber. Hey, he wanted Jacob to admit that he was weak in himself, that he had problems, that he had struggles in his life, that he had sin in his life. And the Bible says at that moment, he transformed him from Jacob to Prince of Israel. He gave him a new name. Glory to God. And then the Bible says this, he touched his hip and Jacob limped for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, Jacob limped. You know why he gave him that limp? So Jacob could always be reminded of his weakness. It's only by God's grace. Do you have a limp? I have a limp. I don't want that limp. Sometimes that limp reminds me, God, you're slowing me down. I have a limp. It's an emotional limp. I have a limp. It's a weakness in my life. God reminds me from time to time. That's to show you that you're not such a super pastor. You're just a pastor. You're just a man like everyone else. And if you're going to be used by me, 
you're going to be used by me because of my glory and my strength that's made perfect in your weakness. Hallelujah. And every Sunday afternoon, I limp to my car. Thank you, Lord. You use me one more day. I limp to my car. And I say, only by your grace, God. You gave me the strength to preach another sermon, God. Thank you, Jesus. Only by your grace, somebody came to know Jesus. Only by your grace, Lord Jesus, somebody was healed, Lord. See, God wants to be glorified through your life. Can you sing with us Amazing Grace in the key of G? And I want you to sing with all your heart today. And whatever weakness you have in your life, whatever it is, don't you walk out of this place feeling insecure and less than. I want you to walk out of this place holding your head up high, not because you've got pride, but because God chose to give you that weakness in your life because he's getting ready to bless you in a big way. Hallelujah. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves. It's only by grace. It's only by grace. Like me. I once was lost. Oh, your grace, your grace, your grace. today encouraged to know his grace is sufficient I promise you this one thing you will wrestle with weakness in your life I promise you you will face all kinds of trials in your life but I can adamantly promise you this as well God's grace will be enough to get you through whatever you have to get through in your life and he'll finish the work that he began inside of you. Amen? Come on, raise your hands. Let's pray a prayer right now. I want you to pray a prayer with me. Father, I am weak. I confess I don't have it all together. There are times when I struggle. There are times when I fail. There are times when I falter. But I declare your grace is sufficient. You will finish the work that you began in me. In the name of Jesus, I am more than a conqueror. 
through your grace in Jesus name come on give the Lord a clap offering hallelujah